what is up everybody welcome back to another episode of the rewired soul podcast it's your host chris and today i am speaking with april rennie so check this out i had not previously heard of april but previous guest awesome author and amazing at risk management uh michelle walker she introduced me to april she's like yo april has a new book coming out you know you might be interested and i saw it i was like yes so her brand new book is called flux and i absolutely love this conversation with her because this what she calls a flux mindset it's all about our relationship to change and like a lot of us suck at change and, you know, life just throws these curveballs at us, whether it's, you know, uh, uh, some unexpected bill or repair or, you know, something in our relationships or whatever. And actually, as I was saying that, what's interesting is I actually recorded this with April weeks ago before I lost my job <laughs> earlier this month. So we were just having this conversation about, you know, being able to deal with change and how we do that and, you know, letting go of control. And I swear it was less than a week after we recorded this that I lost my job. So I was able to put a lot of this stuff into practice, but these are things that I've been actually, you know, doing for a very long time. And if you're wondering, you know, how I've been able to stay sober after this job loss or keep my head on straight after this job loss, it's a lot of what April and I talk about in this conversation. So I, I had an absolute blast talking with her. It's just, you know, when you click with somebody, you'll, you'll hear that in this conversation. But I really hope, you know, a lot of you are, you know, inspired by, you know, April's story and and some of the things that she talks about in this conversation. But I highly highly recommend her book because I, I can't think of a single person who doesn't struggle with their relationship to change. And she, she has actionable steps for, for all these different uh, situations, which we'll talk about a little bit in this conversation. But anyways, anyways, make sure you head down to the description, make sure you're following April over on Twitter and grab a copy of her book. All right. But yeah, while you're down in the description, make sure you're following me as well over at The Rewired Soul on Instagram and Twitter. I love chatting with all of you, but you'll also see what books I'm reading and I keep you up to date on which authors are coming up and new episodes and all that. So make sure you're following me on Instagram and Twitter at The Rewired Soul. And if you're new, if you're new to this podcast, make sure you're following or you're subscribed on Apple or Spotify so you don't miss any episodes. All right. But anyways, without further ado, Here's my conversation with April Rennie about her new book, Flux. All right. Hello, April. How are you doing today? I am well, thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, so we were actually introduced by another phenomenal author, Michelle Walker. And she's like, hey, Chris, I think my friend's book, Flux, might be up your alley. And yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. So for those in my audience who have yet to meet you, April, can you, uh, you kind of tell us what Flux is about? Like what inspired you? to write this book. There's a lot of personal stuff in there, but also it's very helpful to the average person. So yeah, I'd love sure. to Sure. So um, Flux and the subtitle is Eight Superpowers for Thriving in Constant Change. Um, this has been something I've actually been working on technically for the last three years or so. Mm. 
Um, but it really was more like three decades in the making. And I wrote it for a bunch of different reasons. And it certainly has evolved, you know, as it as it took shape and took life. And obviously, as lockdown and COVID hit and everyone's like world in flux, like, tell me about it. Mm-hmm. Um, really, I look at this from a few different lenses. So most people know me today as a kind of futurist where I'm trying to figure out, like, where is the future heading and how do mm-hmm. you and your organization fit into it? And I kept looking around going like every single organization on the planet really struggles with change. Yeah. Yeah. And we need help. And I've also spent most of my, well, my entire career has been international. And Mm -hmm. so in my travels and work around the world, I was also noticing like people everywhere on the planet, every culture struggles with change. Mm -hmm. Interesting because every place has developed different ways of looking at it, talking about it, rituals, Mm -hmm. constructs, concepts. There's a lot we can learn from one another. Mm-hmm. But then if I keep peeling back the layers of the onion, um, I also was just noticing and here myself included, I'm sort of exhibit A. Yeah. People, we humans really struggle with change mm-hmm. and the future is more change. It's not more stability. It's more uncertainty, not more certainty. And I started realizing like, wow, we need to level up our relationships to change. Mm-hmm. And so in this light, I like to say when I say it's been, you know, the better part of three decades, that for me, my entry into flux, and if I go back and think about when did this quest to write a book really begin, I wouldn't Mm -hmm. have said it back then, but it began when I was 20 and um, both of my parents died in a car accident Mm. and I had this real wake up call, right? And my rewiring, if you will, um, started there. And, And what do you do when you don't know what to do? Mm-hmm. And how do you make sense of a world that just melted in terms of what you thought you were going to do or who you thought you mm-hmm. could become? And so that's really the human piece that I bring to this. But, mm-hmm. you know, fundamentally, the book, people say, oh, you wrote a book about change or you wrote a book about change management. And I'm mm-hmm. like, no, <laughs> this is a book about our relationship mm-hmm. to change and how we improve it to be fit for a world in flux. Yeah, no, and that's, I think that all that right there is why I, I fell in love with the book. Like, you know, it's funny as you're talking about it. My dad, like my dad, uh, you know, my mom was an alcoholic. My dad raised me and he had like a few sayings that always stuck in my head, but he always said, always be flexible, always be flexible. And it taught me not to like latch on, but I didn't realize until recent years that I still had an issue with it. And a lot of it was that relationship to it and and something i've learned too is so many aspects of our lives are you know it i I had to reframe the problem it's not so much uh you know the the money the relationships the change that you know i had oliver berkman on not that long ago talking about time management it's our relationship to that thing right like for example i'm a recovering drug addict my relationship with drugs and alcohol were messed up right Mm -hmm. but you know uh when it comes to change uh you know, um, al- although, you know, I haven't gone through the same tragedy you have with losing your parents. When I got sober, I realized one of my biggest issues was being afraid of change, not being ready for, for change, not being able, like you have a whole chapter on letting go, right? And, you know, we, we hang on to stuff. So I realized how important change is. And now it's something that I've adopted and I teach to my 12-year-old son. So from your experience and especially on an international level and noticing that this is more of a, a human problem, right? Like just part of the human experience. What would you say like 
is are, are some of our main uh, challenges with our relationship to change? Like, is it fear based? Is it like, what is it? Yeah. Oh, this is so good, Chris. Already, thank you. And <laughs> um, and you really nailed so many things that I kind of want to circle back on and chew on. So yeah, let me just pick up what you just asked, though. Um, change is complicated. Like. It's really messy. And I mm -hmm. think, you know, as fun as it humans, and I, I get into the conversations with people, all different kinds of people, walks of life, places. It's so fun because one of, and this is just one cut I could take. We can take a few different angles here, but let me start with this one, which is humans love change we opt into, mm. right? <laughs> a new adventure, a new job, a new relationship, yeah. a new food to eat, like, because always people are like, I love change. I'm like, oh, yeah, you do. Some of it you do. Yeah, the control you get change. To up, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. But humans really struggle with that change we can't control. Mm -hmm. Now, that's the kind of change that blindsides you on a random afternoon. It's the kind of change that goes against your expectations. The kind of change that disrupts your plans, right? And it could be big change or small change. It, it could be, you know, even people who are like, they get fed up with the most trivial kinds of change but it's a, it's a sim symbolic of like they're really struggling because they can't control it mm -hmm. so what you start to look at is really this relationship to control mm -hmm. and that being flexible is one thing but you still want to be able to control the outcome yeah right so what you're saying totally resonates with me and that is something i have found across all cultures um but i mean a few things we could tease out here I really think that technology, for example, and I spend a lot of time working in and with technology, mm. technology companies, startups, and so forth. I think there's this weird phenomenon going on right now, which is the more devices we have or the more apps on any given device, the more we think we can actually control or engineer the outcome. And it's true, you know, we can, we can navigate traffic better or, you know, an app can help you order something. But at the end of the day, when change really hits, no amount of technology is going to, quote unquote, solve that. Right? Yeah. I think we've all experienced that over the last year. And so the more reliant we become, again, technology is a means to an end. It's a tool. It can be super powerful. Mm -hmm. But the more reliant or addicted to technology you could say we become, the more we struggle when that change hits and we can't control it. And so mm -hmm. I do see ourselves a little bit, you know, this is to me is a bit of a wake up call of like, we need to get clear on what we can and can't control. And mm -hmm. there's very little actually that any, neither you nor I nor anyone can control the future. Mm -hmm. We can control how we respond, which I'm sure you've heard before, but there's also this sense of no one, we are so, pardon my speech, like hell bent on controlling or predicting the future, the yeah. one future that we want to play out in a way that works for us. And nothing could be further than from the truth. You know, what we're really after is an illusion of control. Mm. And Flux makes that really clear of like, wow, you don't control that much. But what I like, the way that I like to frame it is we can't control the future or the outcome, but we can control whether and how we contribute to an outcome or a future we'd like to see. Mm -hmm. And this relates, as you were sharing earlier, this relates to your own individual future. What kind mm -hmm. of life do you want to live? How do you want to show up in the world, right? It also relates, I think, very much to the kind of macro or meta or societal level of how do we collectively as humans, what kind of future are we trying to build towards? Yeah, yeah. And um, 
April, me and you, we could be best friends. I could sit here. <laughs> I'm sitting here. I'm just like, April gets it. April gets mm-hmm. it. I, I could spend the next five hours talking with you about our illusion of control too. And, and we'll dive into that a little bit, but you said there were some topics that you wanted to kind of break down and, and chew on a little bit. And I love, I love getting into the weeds and diving in and analyzing stuff. So what did, what did you have on your mind? Well, you'd asked about the global piece as well. So, well, mm-hmm. various things. And I'm, I'm sort of thinking now, right now, like I got to park some of these in my brain. Okay. Gotta come back <laughs> to me. But let me just bring up to, I didn't mean to dodge the question about the cultures and the global piece. Mm. Um, one thing I'll just tease out though, is it's really interesting. Um, and we see it today, but it's been there for a very long time, right? That change, change has been around as long as humans have. Like, I like to say like, the only reason you and I are here is because of change. Yeah. Like something happened way back when, and you came into being. Um, but when we look around the world, there are differences between how we see change and how we navigate change. And I think one of the biggest ones, and we see this play out in lots of different ways, but a lot of cultures, and also I should give the caveat, I'm, I'm generalizing for sure. And I don't yeah. mean to be making some big statement, but travel to these places, spend time in these places. This is kind of how it mm-hmm. plays out. There's a lot of cultures in the East, um, Asia and whatnot. There's a kind of, they're, they're more of a collectivist culture, yeah. right? Where it's all about the community and the whole, right? And so if the whole isn't okay, no one individual's okay. Mm-hmm. And then there's the West writ large, you know, which is more individualist. And so it's really about freedom and independence. And, and I'm not saying one, I'm not saying better or worse, good or bad. I'm saying both of those cultures have pros and cons, right? Mm-hmm. But um, what's fascinating is when change hits, how do you navigate it? Mm-hmm. And in the in collectivist cultures there's very much a focus on we rather than me right we got to get through this together and so you're going to bind together and make consensus-based decisions and so forth and in the west it's much more of a figure it out like you're not not that you're on your own that's too much of a but it's like are you okay and make sure that you are okay and if if each of us take care of ourselves then the collective should be okay and mm-hmm. in the East, it's like, whoa, we got to take the look at, is everyone okay? And then we work back. If everyone is okay, then you should be okay too. So yeah. it's, a, it's a subtle mental shift, but it makes a really big difference. And I think, you know, we could have conversations about what this means for masking. We could have conversations <laughs> yeah. about what this means for traffic. I mean, it goes on and on. Yeah. But it's fascinating because even in Asia, like just from a mask perspective, like long before COVID or any, like you, you grow up wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. You, you're masked all the time, but not to protect yourself. It's always to protect others. Yeah. So just interesting because um, that's just one tiny example of change. Yeah. But it also starts to bleed into issues like trust, issues like um, you know, it, it definitely rubs against independence and so forth. And so yeah. there's always this kind of tension. And um, I like to tease that out because, again, there's a lot we can learn from one another. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, it, yeah, it's interesting. That's like, just, you know, even on the topic of, you know, this, this pandemic that we've been in for, you know, almost two years now, mm-hmm. I often see that with the debates and it's interesting too, because I got really into about a year ago, I'm like, well, what, what is the difference uh, between like the left and the right? What, what are their values? Right. Because we're all the heroes of our own stories. Like nobody's out there to be, you know, uh, like mean or you know whatever but yeah i uh you know something i learned in one of the theories is that people on the left are a little bit more you know uh a little bit more like look 
seeing things broader, right? Whereas mm-hmm. on the right, it's a little bit more narrow. Like it's conservative. It's like, hey, it's right here. Let's let's deal with this. And it's interesting. But when oftentimes, like just for example, with the mass debate, I do see that coming up a lot. Like the individualist idea, like, hey, I'm young, I'm healthy. I won't get sick. I don't need this. That, that, that. And I'm just like, okay, but, you know, and then you see other people saying it's not about you, it's about the collective and all that. And, you know, there's there's some like balance in between those two. But one thing I loved about the book as well is, you know, without like, I, I love it because it it it's good for everybody, no matter where on the political spectrum you are, but you do bring up some things and I'm like, oh, oh is April going to get a little too controversial talking about, you know, like privilege, uh, privilege, mm. wealth inequality and things like that. Right. But it's more of you come at it from a way of recognizing it so we can address it and adapt to it and all that kind of stuff. So one thing that you hit on, you know, quite a few times with, throughout the book is privilege, right? And I always find it interesting because I'm a recovering drug addict who almost died, right? And I, I think of myself as privileged, right? Because my mom was seven years sober, for example. Just, uh, she helped me get sober, right? I, I had the privilege of her paying for my sober living. Things that were completely out of my control, right? And you're somebody who lost your parents and had to, you know, get into this flux mindset. So anyways, question. Privilege has become kind of a dirty word right? And people get like, you're calling me privileged. Can you kind of explain what you mean by privilege? (laughs) Oh, thank you, Chris. And thank you also for shouting out. Like what I like to think of the book is definitely provocative, right? Like (laughs) I want to make people go, oh, I hadn't thought about it that way. Right. But it's not, it's not political. It's not, it's not judging anyone or anything. Mm -hmm. It's saying, use this as a tool for reflection. Use this as a tool for self-awareness. Use this as a tool. We all, every person on the planet, whatever political party, stripe, color, you, like you name it, everyone can improve their relationship to change. That mm-hmm. one being like, yeah. I have yet to meet anyone on the planet who's like, I got it. I'm good. It's yeah, like, well, right. how about I just throw this change at you and then we'll see, right? Yeah. Um. So it's mo- much more of a like, how how can I serve? How can I help everyone get a little bitter, a little better? at being themselves. Mm-hmm. And so so thank you for that because I am pushing some boundaries and I'm not saying this is good or bad. I'm saying, what do you think about this? What yeah. is your take on mm-hmm. it? And so privilege, exactly that. I am not calling any one person or demographic or what, like, because part of my take, I'm not saying, and I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that privilege is inherently good or bad because there are, Mm -hmm. obviously, I think we would all say there are advantages to being privileged, right? That's what Mm. helps you. It could open doors. It can help you. It gives you a a boost up. I'm looking at this also, though, in terms of privilege can blind you. Mm. When you have a lot of privilege and you, you tend to take certain things for granted, you tend to not see a lot of stuff that's important, that's right around you, that could change your life, that could actually create a better future, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but also, and I think the piece I, I want to tease out and sort of backing up a little bit, we think, in, and again, this is a question I ask everybody, like when I say privilege, what comes to mind, right? Yeah. That there's a kind of privilege. And a lot of us, I think, think about financial privilege, right? If mm-hmm. you're rich, you have more money, that's privilege. And it is, I mean, money can help you buy things and so forth. But there's all kinds of other privilege and you already teased out some of them that have nothing to do with money. One of the biggest that I find is the privilege of coming 
the privilege of being raised in an emotionally stable household. Mm-hmm. That is enormous. And we don't think of it like privilege of what? Right. Even if, in fairness, even if it's poor, even if it's very modest in terms of financial wherewithal, mm-hmm. financially, you might not be privileged at all. But if you're a kid who can grow up in an emotionally sound environment, you are going to be better positioned for life. Miles ahead. In Just- so many ways. <laughs> and so what's interesting is we can, there, there are many different kinds of privilege. And mm-hmm. a lot of people, I think, I like to think, I haven't done like empirical, ev- empirical research on this, yeah. but like every person struggles in some way. Everyone has things knocks against them and they may be driven by society. They may be driven by our own mindset. You know, and a lot of this is like the stories we tell ourselves kind of thing too, but all of us are privileged in other ways. And when you experience change and in particular loss, that makes you actually recognize and be grateful for the things, the privileges you already have. So, yeah, I lost my parents and a lot of people would say, whoa, to grow up without parents is, I would say, not a privileged thing to mm-hmm. do. I wouldn't wish it on anybody, right? Mm-hmm. But I grew up very much with the privilege of having a family that really cared a lot about education. They made it a priority that I would learn. You know, So, okay, I lost my parents, but I had an education for example, mm-hmm. or, you know, that's one tiny example, but, um, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Do you, do you understand what your privilege is? And also though, where in your life might your privilege be blinding you mm-hmm. and what might it be cutting you off from? Because the challenge is when change hits, you discover that privilege itself can often be fleeting. It's mm-hmm. not, there's nothing about it that's guaranteed. Yeah. Right. Even if you have a lot of money, if you don't have your emotional house in order, I can tell you change is going to hit and that money is not actually going to help solve your deeper core issues yeah. <laughs> around control and all the rest. So, yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's so so when I think of privilege, I think of, you know, one of the the big, the best tools we could have is gratitude. Right. It's something that that I learned. So. So, you know, a lot of people wouldn't recognize this or realize this about me. You just met me, but I used to have intense, like insane anger issues, April. One of the first books I wrote uh, that I self-published was Rewire Your Anger because I wanted to put down the tools that really helped me. But anyways, you talk a lot in the book about changing the script, the old script, the new script, right? And just for example, when I think of privilege and stuff like, so when, when bad things used to happen, when change hit me, I used to be like, you know, I would fall into self-pity. I would get angry. The entire world is against me. Why me? Why does this happen to me? Right. But with my new script and adapting to change, like tomorrow, tomorrow, let's say I come out to my car and, you know, I don't know, a a tree fell down and cracked, just destroyed my window. It's going to cost me a few hundred bucks. Right. I could sit and dwell on that. And you talk about letting go. Right. But, you know, I let go of it. I recognize, you know, the privilege that I had that during a pandemic, when millions of people have lost their jobs. I have a job where I've been able to work from home, have money to pay for that repair. You see what I mean? Like that's like, these are the things. And, and, and like, I get it because, you know, I worked in treatment for a long time and it's difficult because some people are like, you know, we want to sit in that self-pity. We want to say the world, you know, have the worst luck and all these other things. But when we could rewrite that script and change our mindset just a little bit and say, Hey, 
it could be worse. You know what I mean? And you talk about that a little bit in the book, right? And it's difficult. Um, but, but yeah, it could always be a little bit worse, you know? It's difficult. Yes. Lama, I'm like, I'm just sitting here like, like jazz hands, like yeah. everything, right? <laughs> um, absolutely. Like it's difficult. But what's also interesting, and this is more of a, a kind of letting go thing. And people often say like, like you're a futurist. You can't say let go of the future. Like you're not allowed. That's like crazy, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm going, whoa, 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 back up. Like you're not getting what I'm saying about letting go. That we have this script and all, well, let me actually first, let me spend just a minute on this whole notion of the script and just this sense that you and I and everyone has a script yeah. that are the norms and the narratives and the stories we tell ourselves about mm -hmm. the kind of life we want to live, which is awesome. But also they're the stories that people in society has told us about the world we should expect to live in and the way we define success and the way we define how or whether you're valued in society and all these sorts of things. And, you know, everyone's script is different because everyone's lived experience is different and it mm -hmm. relates to, you know, how you were raised and cultures and I mean, all kinds of stuff. And I'm, and no one script is better than another, right? They're just, everyone has one. Mm -hmm. What we're trying to, what we're struggling with today is that for a lot of people, the script that we were given, that someone else wrote for us and said, yep. how the world's going to work, right? We grew up and then we're like, oh, so the script, the way the world I was told was going to work if I did X and Y and Z and followed the rules, whatever, it doesn't align at all with the world I'm living in today. Mm -hmm. And also... A kind of like, so I follow the script and maybe, you, you know, you climb the corporate ladder or you ran fast. You did as much as you could. You, you were like trying to do all these things to meet expectations of society. And all of a sudden you're going like, this isn't working for me. Mm -hmm. So when I say script that we have, we're living many of us and myself included for most of my life, right? I am exhibit A for this. Mm -hmm. Living a script A that I did not write. And I'm not the author of, and I'm realizing, whoa, this, I need to write a new script. Not only that, that I feel like aligns with who I am, but also that is fit for a world in flux. Mm. Because a lot of the old script, what I call the old script in the book, it's very sort of top down, commanded control. If you do this, if you do X, Y will happen. Yeah. And for a world that humans can kind of engineer and control. And so that gets thrown like out the window when flux hits. And again, this is where the last 12 to 18 months, I mean, I was writing the book before lockdown. I was writing the book before COVID. It is not a book about 2020. Uh, if anything, 2020 has been the, this incredible like validation and accelerant for these ideas because yeah. it's like, whoa, here we go. Right. Yeah. Just a million examples right in front of its hand. <laughs> right. Right. And I'm like, I, when I say a world in flux, all of a sudden everyone's like, tell me about it. That's my life. As opposed yeah. to me saying, here's what we have now. I will call out that the things I was worried about before COVID, the kinds of things that were in flux. And here we're talking about automation and artificial intelligence. We're talking about mm. climate in flux, right? We're talking about big things in flux. Those things are still there. They, they did not go away during COVID. Mm -hmm. If anything, they're actually bigger yeah. sources of flux now. Um, but real quick, I, I want to just, just mention this, this letting go, right? And how, when I say let go, for a lot of people, they think, failure. They think giving up. They think, oh, you know, letting go, doomsday, we're done. That is not what I mean at all. 
What I mean is exactly what you were sort of echoing um, just before, which is we are so twisted up in our own minds about how the world needs to work out and it needs to go our way that we're 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 basically almost like strangling the future because we want it to go so badly. And if mm -hmm. we could just actually let go that it has to go this one way, what we actually do is we create space, we breathe oxygen into other possible futures. And mm -hmm. I know that sounds a little bit woo-woo, <laughs> but there's this sense of like, get out of our own way. Yeah. Right? And that if we do, we start seeing things we were missing before. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I actually have an upcoming episode uh, with Randolph Nessie. He's an evolutionary psychologist. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, one of the evolutionary theories uh, around depression is it's us pursuing a goal that's no longer working out. So it's a problem with letting go. That <laughs> leads to yep. depression. And, yep. and I... So like when we talk about this and, and I hear you saying expectations and I like, man... And one of the best things I ever learned, my mom taught it to me when I got sober, but it's uh, very prevalent in, uh, you know, 12 step rooms and stuff like that. But there's a quote and I, I would tell clients, people who are newly sober or just people trying to go on this journey of like personal improvement, this quote, and I would tell people like get a tattooed or whatever, but it's my expectations are inversely proportionate to my serenity, right? Like that just. I remember that on a daily basis. When I set my expectations here, I get miserable. But some people think that means like, oh, just be a pessimist and don't. Ex no, no, I just, I just keep it balanced. I keep it balanced and I try to stay in the now and look at what I can control versus what I can't, right? And I, I, I wish I could transmit like the feeling of relief I got when I understood that principle of like managing my expectations. Because like you said, like there's this script that we're given from the world and, you know, maybe for example, you know, it's a script from an abusive household, right? A parent telling you that you're not good enough or the world or a boss or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whoever it is, right? What people feed us and that becomes part of our script, right? Or there's the script that money will make you happy. Stuff will make you happy if you have this car, if you have this house, all these things, right? So something I've been thinking a lot about lately is the script around the idea of uh, meritocracy, right? And I would think about that while reading your book. So there's a script that we're given. If you do good in school, if you go to school, do good, get good grades, you'll get into a good college, you do good in college, you'll get a great job, have a good career, and then you will be happy. That is a great script and wow, cool. I just, I have this recipe for success. And a lot of people fail to realize that it doesn't always go that way. So just real quick example, and I would love to hear your thoughts of overall that topic, but I am someone who was a drug addict for almost a decade, got sober when I was 27. I'm a college drop, dropout, right? And I've realized that I have to do X amount of work to kind of balance the scales for things that, you know, whatever, that's within my control, although the outcomes aren't. You, you know what I mean? So although I can't afford college right now, I've read 260 books so far this year, right? Because that is in my control. So anyways, I'll yeah. shut up now, but I can go on that. <laughs> no, I'm like, can I riff on this? Yes. LA? Because you are, you are nailing it, Chris. And yeah. I do agree. Like we could talk forever. This is yeah. fabulous. I feel like I've made a new friend. Like yeah. I, I knew we would be friends. I knew we would get along, but this is just like brain buzzing. Um, what you've just described so much of that is, 
it is the old script to a T. Mm-hmm. And and it shows up. So we haven't really talked that much about the eight flux superpowers, right? Mm. But it shows up in several of them, what you just described, right? Study hard, get good grades, go to college if you can, get a good job, work your way. Like that is the script for success. And what's fascinating, and I've been looking at the future of work for quite some time, mm-hmm. long before the pandemic, linear, right? Just a straight path. You can predict this is, here, yeah. here's your future. And every single one of those nodes right now is just, busting apart the future of work is not a straight line a lot of people don't want to climb the corporate ladder for a lot of people the education and the cost of education it's not working Mm -hmm. meanwhile however to your point there have never been more ways to learn and get smart and pursue your you know follow your curiosity um there have never been more ways to earn income before Mm -hmm. right and i'm not saying it's easy i'm just saying we're looking at a, a universe that has so many different ways to learn, to contribute to society, to earn income, all of that. So you've really got to kind of break down those barriers. Again, break down that script in your mind and say, whoa, what part of this is working? What part of it isn't? Mm. Another one I love to riff on. And so so that shows up. Um, there's a superpower about how we think about our careers. That's mm-hmm. a little bit in that in that vein. There's another superpower, though, that is really about the superpower is called know you're enough. But it's really about our obsession with more. Yeah, and I love we that are part, so, by the way. Yeah, and, and this one, I got to tell you, Chris, it's just sticky. People like it. It's like <laughs> everyone's <laughs> like that, like help. Letting go and running, letting go, running slower and knowing you're enough. Seem to be the most where people are like, help, you have described my life. Mm-hmm. But so more and think about this. We have been told that more is better. And we've been told that you will be happy when you have more fill in the blank, more money, more power, more prestige, more love, more likes, more followers, more, mm-hmm. more, more. It's like more, 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 more. We are obsessed with more and it's mostly making us miserable. Yep. And then you sort of back up and you say, so where does this obsession with more come from? And you're like, wow, it's, it's, it's a very modern phenomenon and it has an enormous amount to do with consumer mass marketing and mm-hmm. consumerism. And, you know, separate conversation, a riff on consumerism and certain parts of capitalism and so forth. But like consumerism exists to make you feel like you will never be enough. So you must go after more. Yeah. And we need you to keep buying stuff. So that's yeah. we're going to get you on this hamster wheel. Just buy, 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 consume, consume, consume. And at the end of the day, what do we have? We have a bunch of people who are, you know, living beyond their means with too much stuff they don't need. Yeah. And not happy. Can I, can I, can I tell yeah. you one of the best things I heard just before I forget? There's a book from Johan uh, uh, Hari, uh, Johan mm-hmm. Hari, Lost Connections, but in there somewhere, he talks a little bit about consumerism and he says, the worst advertisement ever would tell you, hey, you're great the way you are. You don't need to improve and you have enough stuff. Right. So once I once you get to look at the consumerism and that it's designed to tell us that we're we're never, we're never at it now. Exactly. Exactly. And what's interesting, so what if I told you it gets but it gets kind of scary as well. Mm. What if I told you that today more people believe that their purchasing decisions have a greater impact on society than their voting decisions? Think about when well. Sorry, shit hits the fan. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, um, go but for it. when 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 war was declared way back when under 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 Bush too, um, what were we told to do? We were told to go shopping. Yep. And it's like, 
oh my God, what just happened to our role as citizens of like just being in community and helping one another? So it's yeah. fascinating in that regard. But the punchline, and just to kind of put a put a bow on this, if you will, this is this is the best way to put it. And again, you can you can you can uh, substitute or put in the blank like money or clothes or food or stuff or whatever when we are always after more Mm -hmm. we will never find enough it's impossible because when you get whatever that more you need more and more more when you're after more you will never find enough but when you know you're enough and again that is your point of sufficiency contentedness not Mm -hmm. too much not too little right yeah when you know you're enough, you will immediately begin to, f- to see or to find abundance. Mm-hmm. And that's fascinating to me because when you know you're enough, all of a sudden you start everything more than you're enough is just like excess. It's abundance. It's goodness. But you're not striving after it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you know, it's interesting. So uh, I when I was about three years old, I got really into mindfulness and then I got really into Buddhist philosophy. And you also referenced the work of Dr. Judson Brewer, who has been a guest. Love him. We've awesome. done some some work together. But anyways, in uh, you know, they have this uh Buddhist like kind of a parable of the hungry ghost, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's that never enough. Like think about a ghost eating, it's never full, right? Mm-hmm. But anyways, uh, you know, one of the things I said, you know, when we get sober is like one is too many, a thousand is never enough, right? But I always try to take something and look at it more of a broad perspective. And what I realized. Like, I thought it was just us addicts, but it's a human condition where we're like this glass with a hole in it, right? No matter how much you fill it up, it just keeps leaking out. And I recognize that, like, I had so many terrible relationships, right? Like, you talk about, like, money and, you know, uh, power, status, all this stuff. But I noticed it with relationships. Like, no wonder why I was never happy in a single relationship because nothing she did gave me enough love. She never gave me enough attention, right? So finally I had to sit back and say, what is my enough? What is okay, right? And and I can look at, you know, my my apartment that I live in. Is this okay? Do I need something bigger? So so here's my question for you, April. All right. So like I always try to think of like somebody who's going to argue with me and say, Chris, you're an idiot. Right. So, so when we're talking about enough, like there is this thing where, you know, I'm big into like evolutionary psychology. And one of the things is we have to be motivated to move forward and, and improve or else we would just be lazy lumps and stay stagnant. So where's that, where's that balance? Tell me where that balance is of having enough, but still trying to improve my life. So I don't just plateau and just no longer improve. Cause I'm like, Oh, I'm as good as I'll ever be. So I'm, I'm fine. Right. Yeah, and this is what I love. It is not about kind of get to your enough and then check out. <laughs> yeah. Not at all. And a friend of mine, I love how they put this. They put it in the context of letting go, but it actually applies across all the superpowers. They're like, oh, you're not saying don't strive. You're saying get out of striving's shadow. Mm. And I like this because what I'm trying to get at, and so, and in fairness, in the chapter, and I've, I, the first half of my career was spent in global development. So this sense of like global inequalities and I've spent lots and lots of time. I can tell you in gory detail, the difference between a family that is living on $1 a day, mm-hmm. $2 a day, $5 a day, $10 a day. I mean, that's a cup of coffee to you and me, but I lived and worked in those communities. And I can tell you from a financial perspective, not a single one of those is enough. 
So I want to be clear when I say it's very, it's a different conversation to be talking about knowing you're enough when you're coming from a point of excess. Yeah. Versus when you truly not enough is not enough. I not enough is not a good thing either. And so I, again, the sense of being provocative about stuff, but I'm not assuming that any one person has too much or too little. It's unique to each person. Yeah. Yeah. But, so the first step that I really want to tease out is, do you know you're enough? And it's funny because people are like, oh, that's a typo. You mean, do you know that you are enough? I'm like, yeah. actually, I'm very deliberate. Y-O-U-R, you're enough, your point of sufficiency, satisfaction, yeah. so forth, which includes knowing that you are enough just as you are. And oh, by the way, you always have been. Yeah. From the moment you were born, you were enough. Society and consumers, you know, they're doing a really good job of convincing you otherwise. But let me tell you, that is not the way of the human. Like, it's just not. Yeah. So back to your question, the first thing that I find very few people have done is actually figured out what is your enough? Like, have you thought about it? Like, yeah. create your enough list, right? And it, it goes down to everything from where you live to um, so much of this, though. We're so, in a way, over-indexed, if you will, mm -hmm. on the more stuff. But many of us, I would say, are in the not enough or the lacking category when it comes to relationships yeah. when it comes to the stuff that fills you as a human and has nothing to do with money and nothing to do with prestige but we've started chasing these you know shiny balls out in society oh my goodness what do we do uh -huh. so there's a calibration there's a kind of rebalancing that needs to happen uh -huh. and when that happens what i will say is in my experience working with others and so forth when you've set your enough, and don't take this just as feedback, it's not criticism or anything like that. Mm -hmm. When you know you're enough and you're clear on that, this question of would I keep striving? You're like, of course I will keep striving. Yeah. I love what I'm doing, but I'm no longer hung up on what it will get me. I have mm. found my enough, but then, and here, everything from just a couple examples, if it's a money thing, for instance, you, you realize what your enough is and yeah, you still want to, you can earn more income, but you're not earning it to go buy more stuff. Yeah. You're earning it to actually get it back into community, to invest yeah. it in others, to give it to others, to whatever, right? Yeah. So there's a different calculus that you're doing around, around that. So that's, that's what I would say for, for starters, at least. Yeah. I, uh, you know. And, and yeah, I get it. Like, and there is, a, there is that, uh, that misconception, like you're enough, like you are enough. No, it's your enough. Like yeah. my thing, like I, I live an amazing life, April. Cause you, you mm -hmm. want to know what my enough is. It's, it's a few things, my sobriety, my son's health, you know, my girlfriend's health and like, you know, and my, my, you know, close friends and family, if I'm there. I got enough and everything else is icing on the cake, literally everything else. And that's, you know, I, I stay in this good mood and I don't freak out about stuff. I used to have, you, you talk a little bit about anxiety in the book too, right? I was diagnosed with a generalized anxiety disorder, but for the most part, it's under control because I'm not worried about getting more and how do I get more and all these other things because I realized, and if anybody were to just like put me on paper, you would see that I, I haven't, I, I work a ton, right? But it's because I like to, 
I don't need to, right? This podcast isn't making any money. I just love to learn. I love having conversations and all that. But the second I'm like, no, I need more money because I need a bigger house and I need a better car. Now this podcast becomes a pain in my ass rather than something I enjoy doing. So I I, I find this baseline of what my enough is. Everything else is extras, right? So- so Chris, I, I, we need more. We need more Chris's in the world. <laughs> we need more ankles, yeah. We really do. Let me let me just tell you uh, if I can share a little bit. Yeah. That it is very like what you're saying is like music to my ears, and it also indicates to me just a clear comfort with yourself and like like and self self awareness and and self love and self respect and and dignity and knowing who you are and just like like mm. knowing who you are and being grateful for all the, the abundance that you have in your life that, but that it's not about what society tells us to go and do to that. I find that this know you're enough. And, and this is a, it's a theory I have, which, um, you know, informal, nothing too researched other than observing people. There is also, there's this, this cohort, I don't know, um, mm-hmm. where, when I call it, and other people have done a lot more work on this than I have, this notion of when we get caught in this kind of, how do we accomplish? How do we do, do, do in society's eyes more? What's my next title? What's my next promotion? What's my next salary? What's my next, mm-hmm. like, there's like, how can I accomplish? And, and none of, no amount of these accomplishments is ever going to make you fully satisfied in society's eyes, so to speak. Yeah. That's where the anxiety kicks in. Mm-hmm. And there comes a point in time, and this is where and more of a meta, <laughs> a meta comment, a certain amount of anxiety is normal. It's natural. It's healthy in humans. I'm yeah. judging would say this too. It motivates us to do something, to do yeah. stuff, right? A little bit, right? Where when you feel anxious about stuff that makes sense because you care about it. Yeah. But there's this point after a certain point and the point is pretty low happens pretty fast that anxiety becomes toxic anxiety becomes debilitating anxiety Mm -hmm. becomes you know not helpful and i find that people who are often very accomplished on paper they are afflicted by this anxiety to a degree that is really sad Mm -hmm. to observe and um you know, I have found myself caught somewhere in the middle of that. Um, mm-hmm. I have, I had anxiety. I grew up in an anxious household. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until I was much, much, much older that I realized I did not know what not having anxiety was because I'd never not known it. Mm-hmm. And that was just this, yeah, huge wake up call, which actually pointed with the point that anxiety became a much bigger theme in the book when mm-hmm. I realized, oh, it's not just me. It's like a lot of people. But I think that Insofar as we're going to define our worth or our value or what matters as according to what other people think matters, mm-hmm. we're going to be racked by anxiety. Yeah. But if you can get clear on what that is for you, which you have, and it's such, I cannot underscore, I think you know this, but like what a gift it is, mm. that you, what privilege actually in the best of ways it is to know this about yourself. And this is the kind of privilege I think we should all have access to, but it mm-hmm. takes time to build. You had to do the work. That's another mm-hmm. piece of all of this. It, that didn't come drop from the sky. You didn't just. Oh yeah, this took you weren't years. endowed with, <laughs> years and hard work. And what I like to think of, it's a practice. Mm-hmm. You practice this and practice this and practice this days and years in and out. And not every day did you feel this way, right? Mm-hmm. Not every day. Were you, you know, yeah. Oh no, I still, it's still my random there. bad days, you know. But overall, yeah, I, I but, sit back but and you reflect. Got there. Yeah. You, you didn't. It wasn't something 
that someone else just gave you. And then you had to like integrate or like, boom, there, we're done. Our sort of quick fix. You did the work and you practiced and you got clear and you, and I'm, I'm not speaking for you here, but like it's some version of, you know, you, you had conversations with yourself. Mm-hmm. You, you really dove deep. You, you thought about the kind of life you wanted to live, how you wanted to show up for others, like all of that. That takes practice mm-hmm. and um, not just thinking about it, doing it. So yeah. my, my kudos to you, because that's exactly your, your flexiness score. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's why I love the book because you put into words things that I've been trying to do, right? And you, you put it right here. And, and I got, I have one more question for you and everybody listening, like we have barely scratched the service. Like you, like your book has all like the, the superpowers, you have reflections at the end. One of the things I love, if I find a book that can give me something, like you said, it took work. If I have a book that can tell me to do something, so I'm not just, I don't just sit with it and say, okay, now what? So I love that you did that. But anyways, mm-hmm. last question, and this might be too in-depth and we may have to do a part two, but succinctly, there, there's this debate around like the individualism of kind of like personal development, right? Like me, I, what I can control and all this kind of stuff and reading your book, that is nowhere near. It's not like, Hey, focus on me. I can't control the rest of society. Right. You want people to, you know, have this broader, like kind of sense of community and how do we help others? And things that I'm personally passionate about is how do we get mental health care to people? Like, cause I come from an addiction background and mental health. How do we treat people with mental illness? How do we get people health care? How do we make it so people can get a uh, drug and alcohol treatment if they want to? So although I had this, a lot of this, like, Hey, I need to work on me. I need to do a lot of work, but I also need to now take that. And what I have give it, take, you know, and give it to others to try to make this world a better place. So anyways, how do you, how do you see that? Like somebody comes up to you and says, April, like, what about the rest of the world? You're telling me to let go. Should I just not vote and get yeah, involved yeah. in politics? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, what, yeah, what do you, yeah that's not what do you it at to, all. Yeah, what do you I mean, say to that? My, and my whole, I think a lot of it goes back to how my upbringing, which was both my parents were teachers. So um, there was not a lot of money, a lot, a lot of stuff, but there was a huge emphasis on learning, education. And also one, the two things I was allowed to like spend money on were education and travel but this sense that the world is bigger than your own backyard and fascinating back to what our dads taught us. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can also call out like my, my mom was clinically depressed. I have struggled with depression. Mental health is a huge piece in this and whether it's depression, whether it's um, bipolar, whether it's um, anxiety, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's all there and we need to be having, we need to be surfacing these conversations and having them candidly and open openly and wholeheartedly much more than we are um and my dad though so my mom was really challenged very hard growing up um my dad was kind of my rock um he he was not perfect but we got along and he would always tell me um a couple things well one was from a diversity perspective he was like why in the world would you ever want to go and hang out with people who look just like you and like talk like you and eat the same thing like what's what's interesting is like that yeah i want you to go to school and the the more different someone is from you the more interesting they are to get to know Mm -hmm. oh and like and the other i love that i just like to bring that up oh yeah i i I, even today i'm like it it, 
it's so true. Um, and I love my friends, you know, wherever they come from, but the diversity is what helps us really um, identify as something more than just our little insular community. The other thing though, that he would say to me is the fact that you're a girl and get to go to school, those two things make you one of the luckiest kids on the planet. Talk about mm -hmm. privilege. He's like the privilege of getting an education. So I want you to go and learn. He said, but do not think that this privilege is somehow your entitlement. You have, because you've been so lucky, you have a duty, a responsibility to give back. Mm. And that means helping others who don't have in, whether it was, you know, at that point it was very simple to say access to education. Now I could say access to a lot of other things, right? As we look globally. But I bring this up because I have learned we have to get our internal houses in order. If we don't, we can't show up for the world. But mm -hmm. the point is not to get your internal house in order so that you can go live your insular life. Your yeah. point is to get your internal house in order so you can go serve the world. Yeah. So that you can actually bring, I mean, you unleashed on the world is going to be so much better than you kind of, I don't know, staying in your little corner. Yeah. And so this is, and it's been fascinating and it's a nice note to kind of wrap on more or less, but like the number of parents who have come to me saying, how do we get this to our kids as young as we can? People coming to me saying, I need this, obviously, in my organization, but others have said, we need a flux manifesto. You know, there's, this is all about how we work together mm -hmm. towards a future that is more fit for flux, mm -hmm. so to speak. Um, but yeah, it, it, there's a tension there, I would say, because in order to grow, in order to contribute to the world, you do need, it's sort of, you know, put your face up put your mask on first before yep. helping others, but that's not the end. Putting mm -hmm. your face mask on, doing your work, it's, it's so much of this is so that you can actually show up and do and contribute the things to others mm -hmm. that the world candidly so desperately needs. It needs yeah. more Chris, that's for sure. No, it needs more, you know, for yeah. anyone who's listening to this, this whole sense of like, every person is so capable of contributing but if we're anxious or racked with fear, whatever, around change mm -hmm. or have not gotten clear on our enough and our ability to let go and, you know, how, what, what is our script, right? Mm -hmm. Then that's much harder to do. Yeah. No, and you provide the tools perfectly. And, yeah. you know, the last, last thing real quick is, is, you know, it, it sounds insane if I say, you know, my sobriety comes before my son, but it's for that same thing. Yeah. If I don't stay sober, I can't help him. You know what I mean? So, so exactly. I, I totally 1000% agree. And Abel, you are one of my new favorite people. And for everybody who wants to, you know, check out the book, uh, it's out now. So where can they find it? But more importantly, where can they find you and all the awesome stuff that you're doing. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, so the book and the website, and I've tried to make a lot of information about Flux just like publicly available so you can learn. Yeah. Um, that website is fluxmindset.com. Mm -hmm. Flux Mindset, we didn't talk a lot about that, but it's a core theme of the book. Um, April Rinnie, my no one has my name. So it's quite cool. At least no, not that I've found yet. <laughs> my um, handle is April Rinnie everywhere. Um, my email is april at aprilrinney.com. My personal website is aprilrinney.com. So um, I'm easy, pretty easy to find. And the book, uh, you can you can order it on fluxmindset.com, but it's also on Amazon. It's also at every major retailer kind of thing. So thank you. Awesome. Yeah, it was it was such a pleasure. And we will we will definitely do this again sometime. I would love an encore. I would totally love it. Yeah.
All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with April. She's such a fun person to talk about. And and yeah, like, you know, talking with her and just even going back and editing this episode and, and and going back through, you know, all these different topics about dealing with change and everything. Like I was, I was re-motivated and inspired. It's such a great book and she's such a, a great person. So make sure you're following her head down to the description. Uh, I have her social media links, her website, but most importantly, grab a copy of her book. And if you know somebody, if you have somebody in your life who struggles with their relationship to change, grab them a copy of the book. All right. But anyways, uh, yeah, also down in the description, make sure you're following me over on Instagram and Twitter. And if you want to help support the podcast in a very simple yet free way, there's a few things you could do. One, make sure you're following or you're subscribed to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. All right. Two, share these episodes. If you thought this episode was great and it might help someone who follows you or is on your friends list or whatever, share it over on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. All right. And lastly, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and take two seconds to leave a rating and review, that helps a lot. All of these things help with all of the podcast algorithms and spread the word so we can grow this, this lovely little community. All right. But some other ways you can support the podcast are also down in the description. You can head over to the rewiredsoul.com. I've self-published uh, five books. If you're interested, like they're all about mental health or addiction recovery. So if this if this conversation, you know, is like, Hey, you know, I can use some of that. I talk a lot about it in, in some of my books. Uh, they're available at the rewiredsoul.com and the books are on a lot of different platforms. Uh, next you can become a patron. And lastly, uh, if you would like another thing that helped me out was therapy. So there's an affiliate link down below for better help online therapy. It's affordable. It's online. You work with a licensed therapist and you can find a therapist who specializes in specifically with what you're dealing with. There's a huge questionnaire, not huge. I don't mean that word. It takes like five minutes, but there's a questionnaire. So whether it's like, uh, you know, depression, anxiety, trauma, whatever it is, uh, you fill that out. So make sure you check out that affiliate link for better help online therapy. All right. But again, make sure you're following me over on Instagram and Twitter because yeah, I'm doing a lot more writing and I am thinking about starting my next book. So yeah. So make sure that you stay tuned for updates on that and everything like that. All right. But yeah, another huge thanks to April. Make sure you're following her and grab a copy of her book flux. And for all of you have a great rest of your day and I'll see you tomorrow with a new episode.